Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is July 9th, 2011. The time is 9 o'clock or 9.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, before I get into the topic of this Bible study, Balaam, the wicked prophet, I'm going to address uh, a few things that we need to address here. Uh, this world is uh, really getting very uh, difficult to live in and things are happening that really has never happened before in the history of uh, civilization and the fact that God has given me insight into this I must talk about it to to warn anyone that listens to me and uh, it's not to to brag about myself it's to brag about God and what he has said in his word and that's all a servant of God should do is just brag about God not himself so uh, I'm sure that for those who are Americans and those who aren't Americans uh, understand that the United States right now is in a real big mess in regards to its economic status. If you look at the situation just economically, this is an article from World Net Daily. And this was posted to July 8, 2011 by Joe Kovacs, K-O-V-A-C-S. And it states here, CIA, the Central Intelligence uh, Agency, um, colon, U.S. finances at bottom of planet. Okay, and what that means basically now, China, this is interesting, China, their current account balance is $272 billion dollars. To, to um, 2010 estimate, and followed by Japan and Germany and so forth. The United States is nowhere near the top. We are at the bottom. Our financial balance is 561, a negative 561 billion dollars, which is sad, but that's where we're at right now uh, economically, according to the CIA uh, statistics. So. That's a sad situation that we're in, but uh, we're, we're, we're that's our, our balance. But we are close to almost uh, between 70 and $100 trillion in debt when you take a look at other things. 
but we're in a very, very bad situation, folks, and uh, this is prophetic and biblical what this country is going through. And, again, uh, for those who are not aware of this, you need to go to this website, www.beasinboyritam.org. That's beasinboyritam, as in mother, org to understand what I'm about to tell you, that the United States, Canada, uh, the countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, New Zealand, uh, I think I mentioned Australia, all those countries have something to do with the ten lost tribes of Israel geographically. Also, anyone that claims that they're a believer of, of Jesus as the Messiah, the King of Israel, uh, is automatically grafted into Israel. So the modern tribes of Israel today consist of those geographical areas, including, of course, the little nation of Israel, which is Judah, the tribe of Judah, Judah, Benjamin, and Levi mixed together, according to uh, the uh, Jewish Orthodox expert of the website, BritAm.org, Yer Davidi. I would encourage you to go there. Uh, he is the, I would have to crown him as the world's renowned expert in this. Uh, other people discovered this earlier, but I don't think anyone has really explained it like he has. And, of course, I'm not surprised. He's a Jew, and Romans 3, verses 1 and 2 says that the Jew has an advantage because they were given the oracles of God. Uh, they understand the Bible like no other when they allow God to work with them. It's their responsibility to teach the world the Bible. Romans 1, verse 16 states that the gospel is for the Jew first and the Gentile, especially for the Jew and then the Gentile. So the priority to get the gospel out should be to the Jew first and then the Gentile, according to what Paul stated. In Romans 1, verse 16. And that prophecy is happening, folks. Uh, things are happening now where the Jews, um, approximately 14 to 16 million of them worldwide, will be given a powerful witness that Yeshua is the Messiah. And many of them, as prophesied, uh, when, you, when you look at uh, Zechariah chapter 12, on to 14, will repent. And once they repent collectively, as Romans 11 states, that's when the resurrection will occur. So anyway, things are really uh, getting bad, folks. Um, I think two or three weeks ago you had the United Nations announcing, hey, we accept uh, homosexuality behavior and don't discriminate against that. And then the following week, uh, the United Nations, as you, I hope that most of you know, is located in New York, and New York, the state of New York now, is saying the same thing to those who are uh, New York uh, residents in the state of uh, New York. Um, if you're gay now, you can marry legally in that country, not country, but state, within 30 days from the uh, decision to allow same-sex marriage in New York. Of course, no doubt, this will influence other states across America to do the same thing. Of course, I don't know when, but uh, it's pretty obvious. New York is, is somewhat the the leading city of the world, basically. Uh, they have everything there. And that will influence not only 
America, the American citizens, but uh, people around the world. Of course, the UN is located in New York. And I have been explaining the last two programs especially that that's a gauge for God. Homosexual behavior, that really, that's the last straw of him in regards to holding things back. And I did a Bible study on that last week. Uh, that uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah situation, as God pictures this whole world, particularly this country and Britain, um, that's when utter destruction will come upon this earth, as described in Isaiah chapter 24, where it'll be so much destruction that there will only be few men left. Let's look at this. Isaiah chapter 24. This is what's happening. The process of this is beginning as I'm speaking. Uh, it says in verse 1, Isaiah 24, verse 1, the, it says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist his surface and scatter his inhabitants. This is the, the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible. So it says, first of all, in verse 1, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. So right there, this covers all the the mind calendar theories and all that. You know, uh, we, we know that God is prophesying to the prophet Isaiah that the, the the earth will be emptied and it will be made desolate. And he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. All right, so it's going to be, just like uh, many of you saw 2012, we saw that as well. It's going to be similar to that. It's going to be chaos and destruction. Verse 2, And it shall be as with the people, so with the priests. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with his mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. So this is going to affect everyone. It doesn't make a difference what their social status is or whatever. Verse 3, the earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. So you can know that this is going to happen because the Lord, not me or, or uh, Isaiah, but the Lord, has spoken this word. Verse 4, the earth mourns and witness, withers rather, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. Verse 5, the earth lies defiled or in a state of decay. If you go to www.scorecard.org, you'll see how we defile the earth. Uh, there, there's many different chemicals, that, uh, toxic chemicals, uh, chemicals that can damage the body that are put in the air on a daily basis by factories in all of your local areas. If you just type in www dot scorecard dot org that's s c o r e c a r d dot org type your zip code in there you'll see all the companies that have factories in the area that are putting toxic chemicals or chemicals that could harm you in the atmosphere and so that explains why there's cancer and why there's all that could, as an addition to the fact we don't eat a healthy diet but all these chemicals in the area is not helping us either okay so and that's what this is talking about. This is one of the major ways we do defile the environment. It says the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. And why? Why? Well, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant, which is found uh, in Exodus chapter 20. That's the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. The law of Moses, which many think that it's separate from the law of God, and it's both the same. And a little disclaimer, I, I um, or plug for myself, I guess. Um, I 
suggest that you go ahead and, and listen to the, the program that I made that God inspired me to create, uh, where it states, um, is the law of Moses nailed to the cross. It's a three-part series. And I encourage you to look up every scripture and listen to that. It's free. You'll never, never, ever hear me charge you for anything. Christ would never do that. All the apostles, when you look in the book of Acts and all the other epistles that Paul wrote and the other apostles, they never, ever requested anyone to pay for their teachings. And that, unfortunately, is a negative part of America today in reference to churches. Uh, they try to combine mammon or money with God, and you can't do that, as Christ stated. And um, many ministers are filthy rich off of people, and I can never envision Christ or his apostles uh, preaching. Can you imagine Jesus giving the sermon an amount and saying, okay, um, 50 bucks, please? Okay, can you Can you imagine that? Okay, but that's unfortunately what many of these ministers do. Um, you know, I, I'm going to write a... Well, I already have, but I'm going to write another one with, with uh, a different title to catch people's attention about this. This is something that a lot of these ministers need to repent of, or Torah teachers. Um, they should encourage the people to give to them, as Paul did. But Paul said to follow his example, and he stated that he wished for the gospel to be free of no charge. And I don't see that willingness from most Torah teachers or ministers today. Now, you should encourage the people to give to you, but they should give to you so that you'll have enough food and clothes and shelter or enough monies to be able to survive. Other than that, the ministry is not a tool for you to get rich. And ministers, you also should have a job or occupation, a worldly occupation. Jesus did. He was a carpenter. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says he stopped being a carpenter. Uh, the apostles, uh, they also worked. And there, there's an article that I wrote uh, called Tithes and Offerings, not to encourage you to give to me, but for you to understand what giving is all about. And in that article, if you go to my website, mercifulservantsofgod.com, click on Tithes and Offerings. In that article, I talk about how the Jews understood at one time that rabbis uh, should have an occupation or teachers. And it's proven. Historically, that they have they they did that. I think they may have changed now that the American disease has gotten a hold of them too. But the disease of uh, wanting to make money, capitalism, which is nothing wrong, but you can get so carried away that you throw God away. You know, you push him to the side, and that is what has been done in all religions today. But anyway, um, you should have a worldly occupation. I have a worldly occupation. I'm a marketing consultant, direct marketing consultant. Uh, the ministry is something I do in my spare time, in my part-time. Uh, particularly, I do this all day on the Shabbat. And and I uh, do it um, on Sundays. Uh, I do work on Sundays because it is a work day. God commands us to work six days a week. Uh, the first day of the week is on Sunday, not Monday, as most people think. And and uh, I do work as Paul worked, as as the apostles worked, and as Christ worked. But my other occupation is doing what I'm doing now for free all right and for those who find it within their heart to to help me and give to this ministry that's fine but you know I'm not going to advertise that and blast it all over I mean with the knowledge I have I can easily make a ton of money 
I can easily say whatever, whatever someone wants to hear to make money. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm not a 501c3 organization, never will be. So, you know, my agenda is not to, to, to get money from the people. My agenda is to hopefully wake some people up to reality and to the truth and help them to repent and come to the true God of the Bible, not the God that someone is interpreting for you and, and uh, causing you to believe something that's not true out the Scriptures. But anyway, Isaiah 24, verse 5, The earth lies defiled or in a state of decay under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant, the law of Moses, folks, the law of God. That's the everlasting covenant. Verse 6, Therefore a curse devours the earth. This is the reason why we have problems, folks. This is the reason why. A curse devours the entire planet, including the United States, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. And this is what it's going to lead to. This is what, as we're going to study today, Jude is talking about. This is in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah, in other words, uh, in the context of being lazy, uh, not wanting to to work uh, effectively, um, not wanting to take care of the poor, eating too much, and, of course, sexual perversion. Those are all the, the sins of Sodom as listed in Ezekiel chapter 16. Worldwide, in particular in the rich countries of the world, which the majority of them are the modern tribes of Israel today, have this problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's why God links it. That's why Christ talks about it prophetically in Luke chapter 17. As in the days of Lot, so shall the, son of, uh, shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What were the days of Lot about? Well, the days of Lot was about not taking care of the poor, eating too much, being lazy, and sexual perversion, which I guess the most perverted sexual perversion of all, well, I don't know, I guess having sex with animals versus uh, homosexuality, I think they're both uh, abominations uh, to the core. So anyway, um, but that that's that's an abomination, and that stuff goes on too, you know, that having sex with animals, I mean, that that is rampant. They even have porn websites showing women having sex with horses. You know, and other animals. I mean, it's just ridiculous how perverted we are as a society. And you you think God is going to allow this stuff to continue on, folks? No, he's not. And this is a prophecy which the Bible states in Ephesians chapter 2. The church, the assembly, should be built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Isaiah is one of those prophets. And that's why I am going to continue to preach out of the Old Testament, which many Christians they believe is toilet paper, but I'm going to quote out of it because, whether you realize it or not, um, Paul stated to, under the inspiration of God that the assembly or the church, and that's what church really means, assembly, people assembling together to worship, not a building, that is based on the foundation of the prophets, which Isaiah is one, and the apostles foundations means where you start from and so for people to be afraid about prophecy and all that you really don't you're not really a part of the assembly then if you're going to be afraid of prophecy if you're going to be afraid of being corrected if you're going to be afraid of possible punishment for your sins that's the context of prophecy in a lot of cases so we must repent and 
this is a powerful prophecy because this prophecy is addressed to the entire planet. All right, and then you turn Isaiah 34. Verse 1 says, Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear. So I was telling, this is a, a, through the prophet Isaiah, end-time prophecy for the 21st century, he's telling everyone to listen. Draw near, O nations, including the United States, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it. The world and all that comes from it. So this is very important, folks. Pay attention to this. Verse 2, for the Lord is enraged against all the nations. He's angry with every single nation on this earth. Let me repeat this again. Verse 2, for the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts or armies. He has devoted them to destruction. That means he's angry with the United States Army and all the rest of these armies. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise, and mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall not shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All the hosts shall fall in leaves from the vine, from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it's the sentence for judgment upon Edom, which can mean uh, the pagan world, the Gentile world, as well as the area of Turkey. Upon the people I have devoted to destruction, the Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat. With the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its full of blood, and their souls shall be gorged with fat. This is really describing Revelation chapter 19, folks, when it talks about Yeshua or Jesus coming back with the saints and landing his feet on the Mount of Olives, also Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion, or Jerusalem. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and, and, and to her soil and to sulfur. In other words, all those who oppose him, all those who oppose him will be destroyed. And in verse 16, seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. That's what I'm doing. I'm reading from the book of the Lord. None shall be without her mate for the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them so he's telling you these things will happen folks these things will happen and I'm trying to do and I know others are trying to do the best they can to prepare you for what's about to happen it's not going to be pleasant and this is from the Economic Policy Institute and I suggest you guys go to this website because Obama and, and his administration are not going to tell you the whole truth about what's going on because they don't want you to panic. But anyway, it says, Labor Market Here, the title of this article, is Labor Market in Full Retreat. This is by Heidi Scherholz. I hope I pronounced her last name right. July 8, 2011. It said, This morning's release of the June 2011 employment 
situation report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed a labor market in retreat. Virtually every single measure was weak. Only 18,000 payroll jobs were added. Nominal wages fell. Unemployment was up in almost all age groups. More than 250,000 workers dropped out of the labor force altogether, and the public sector continued to bleed. Bleed. I never heard of that before. Bleed jobs. Furthermore, a downward revision to last month's data means that this is the second month in a row with job growth at 25,000 or less. This is a remarkable across-the-board backslide. Of particular concern is that measures we look to for signs of future growth, average hours and temporary help employment both declined. Average hours declined by one-tenth of an hour to 34.3, and temporary help lost 12,000 jobs. It's third straight month of declines. Okay, I'm not going to read the rest of this depressing information, but... uh, I see a graph here, and if you guys go to this, and you can just type in Google, labor market in full retreat, uh, and then you can type in to to enhance and make this search very quick, EPI, uh, you should be able to find this. And there is a figure here that's very interesting, and it really describes our situation. It says, still threading water at the bottom of a very deep hole, employment to population ratio, January 2006 to June 11th. When you look on this graph starting in January of 06, it's up to 63%, the employment-to-population ratio. Okay, but it goes, it, it, it kind of somewhat stays the same around January 2008. And then all of a sudden, it drops, and it continues to drop. And it's dropped all the way almost down into the bottom now. When we come to January 10th and then from January um, 2011, and it's still going down. And this is a share of working age, 16-plus population that has a job. You know, I, I'm telling you this, folks, because this is a very serious situation. You know, I, I can't make believe, like, this is something that is not prophetic, what's going on. That's not biblical. And I'm just going to read the conclusion to this article, and you can make up your own conclusion to this conclusion. It says, the labor market is currently 7 million payroll jobs below where it was at the official start of the recession three and a half years ago, which is pretty interesting, three and a half years ago. And the number hugely understates the size of the gap in the labor market by failing to take into account the fact that simply keeping up with the growth in the working age population would have required the additional of the addition rather of four point one million jobs since the recession started in December of two thousand seven. This means the labor market is now 11.1 million jobs below. All right, let me repeat this. This means the labor market is now 11.1 million jobs below the level needed to restore the pre-recession unemployment rate, uh, in parentheses, 5.0 in December 2007, the official start of the recession. That's what it was before the start of this mess, was at 5.0, the unemployment rate. It has been three and a half years since the start of the recession in December 2007, which, again, is very interesting. Anyway, to get back to the pre-recession unemployment rate by 2014, another three and a half years from now, we would need to add more than 350,000 jobs every single month between now and then. Now, are we going to do that, folks? Right now, Obama and his administration is trying to figure out whether or not they should allow the debt ceiling to go up or not. And what the debt ceiling is, is the ability for us to allow more debt so that we can print more money that we don't have, 
backed up by, uh, by any silver or gold uh, printing uh, dummy money, basically. Uh, the Treasury, the United States Treasury does that, and and uh, get us get ourselves into more debt, which is ridiculous. It's like you have these folks, you know, he has a, heart, a, a what, doctorate of law degree in Harvard, right? And you have all these folks from, from uh, Yale and Princeton, all these top universities, and they don't understand simple addition and subtraction. Each share of the debt in this country, I think uh, each person is between twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. We share in this debt, and 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 it's just it's a very simple solution to this problem. I don't have to have a Harvard degree to understand what we need to do. We need to follow the financial principles, the foundational principles um, that I'm going to talk about. Very simple principles in the Bible, where the rich help the poor; they distribute their wealth to the poor. Number two, the United States needs to stop taxing the living crap out of us. And other countries need to stop doing that too as well. But above all that, we need to all start obeying God collectively. If we do that, we will understand his law about eliminating debt, uh, to stop spending uh, money that you don't have, and then not being responsible to pay it back. There's nothing wrong with loans and credit cards. It's, It's getting so much credit card debt and loan debt that you can't manage to pay it back. And I mean pay it back in full. And I know there's emergency situations where you just can only make the minimum payment. But eventually you should get to a point where you wisely use the monies, loan monies to invest in making more money or use that money for survival purposes only, not to, oh, I want to get this and I want to get that. I don't want to wait. I don't want to get it now. When you have that type of attitude then you're going to get yourself in more unreasonable debt and then cause yourself to file bankruptcy. And that really describes how our government has gotten themselves into, our leaders have gotten themselves into debt by just spending, 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 particularly with these ridiculous wars that we've uh, participated in over the years, has really gotten us ourselves into debt. I mean, we almost spent almost a trillion dollars for the military. It's ridiculous. All right, so anyway, it says so it says to get back to the pre-recession unemployment rate by December 2014. Another three and a half years from now, we would need to add more than 350,000 jobs every single month between now and then. We added only 43,000 jobs in the last two months combined. Given this situation, it must be our top priority to do everything we can to stimulate demand and generate jobs. I, I agree, including providing fiscal relief to states, expanding the safety net, which by getting money into the hands of people who spend it, stimulates demand and generates jobs, approving additional spending on infrastructure, implementing direct job creation programs in particular hard-hit communities, supporting work sharing to avoid layoffs, having the Federal Reserve do more quantitative easing or target a somewhat higher inflation rate to both reduce real interest rates and erode debt and lowering the price of the dollar to boost net exports. The president and congressional leaders need to stop talking about deficit reduction and start talking about job creation now of course um, you, you get the the gist that she feels that we need to increase the debt ceiling or we need to spend more money and I totally disagree with her on that end however I do agree with her that we need to focus on job creation uh this debt can be easily eliminated if you just go to the United States government's website and look at their budget there's a lot of things that they're spending money on that they can wipe out NASA for one that's a total waste of money i think that's 16 billion dollars a year that could be put someplace else. We don't need to be looking for Martians and and uh aliens from outer space. 
uh, we need to put that money elsewhere. There's other things that we can knock out. But, but like I said, the whole key is to follow the principle, the economic equality principle that God has set up in the Torah that Paul talks about. And we're going to talk about where the rich don't have too much and the poor don't have too little. It should be an equality there. I don't hear that from politicians today, although uh, Mr. Randall, who's gotten himself in a bunch of mess recently, uh, let me quote what he stated here. Um, this is the political ticker on CNN, um, July 8, 2011. Randall, what would Jesus do on the debt talks? Wow. Okay, so anyway, it says veteran Democrat, and this is by um, CNN's Ed Hornick from Washington. Says veteran Democratic Republican Charlie Rangel made an impassioned plea to religious leaders Friday, calling on them to lobby or support members of Congress and the Obama administration. Remember the lesser of my brothers and sisters during the weekend's debt negotiations. Quote, what would Jesus do this weekend, or Moses, or Allah, or anyone else? The New York congressman said at the press conference on Capitol Hill, I don't want this book, Debt Negotiations, closed about the clergy having an opportunity to forcibly express themselves as well as I know they can do, end of quote. Top congressional leaders and the White House have been steeped in contentious negotiations over raising the nation's $14.3 trillion debt ceiling. Treasury Department officials, along with top economists, warned that a failure to raise the limit by August 2nd could lead to a global economic crisis and dire consequences for the United States, including skyrocketing interest rates, and a falling dollar. Randall said he was stumped as to why Washington wouldn't be besieged by spiritual leaders saying, do what you have to do, but not to the homeless, the jobless, and the helpless, not to the sick, and certainly not to the aging that are sick or those depending on Social Security, Medicaid, and Medi- uh, Medicare, and Medicaid. And right now, the Obama administration is considering lowering Social Security, Medicaid, and and uh, Medicare, and if that happens, that's going to really, really cause a bunch of problems to a lot of Americans. Says I have not quote I have not heard from those people who have been called by God to protect the poor. Well, you need to listen to my program, Mr. Randall. I've been doing it for three years. I haven't heard them. He said the issues that are going to be discussed this weekend involve spiritual, moral issues. End of quote. He's right. And Randall's plea to the poor and helpless. Call your religious leaders and ask, what is Medicaid or Medicare all about? What is Medicaid all about? Why do we have taxes? Well, yeah, but I don't know if most people are going to call their religious leaders for that. But that, you know, I understand what he's saying, and and, and that, that should be done. But what we need to do is go over some simple scriptures here about what God says how to handle this problem, because we have not done a fine job of doing it, that's for sure. And... One of the things that he states for rich people, and I don't hear this from any Republican, probably hate this scripture. First Timothy, because most Republicans, well, it doesn't make it. You know, Republicans and Democrats, they are rich anyway. But the Republicans are known to be richer. First Timothy. But this is a, a commandment to you rich folks. I know a commandment that you guys don't really like. Why Christ stated that it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He compared it to a camel going through the eye of a needle, <laughs> which is sad in itself. Anyway, First Timothy chapter six, 
First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, that includes rich people today in this age, okay, charge them not to be haughty, because that rich people have a tendency to be arrogant, think they all better than anyone else, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches and what they do today. What is the stock market, Dow Jones Industrial, all about? Huh? It's about setting their hope on the uncertainty of riches, and that's what they do every day, Monday through Friday. Stocks went up, everything's okay. Stocks go down, everything's bad, right? That's what they want you to think, right? But anyway, uh, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's what our hope should be on. They are to do good. Rich people are to do good. To be rich in good works. Not rich in buying more things for yourself. To be generous and ready to share. Are the Republicans ready to share their wealth? No, they're not. One thing Obama is right about. There's nothing wrong with the rich sharing the wealth. Christ and Paul would agree with Obama about that. Okay, so uh, it says right here, they are to do good, to be to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share or distribute, as the King James Version states, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, you rich folks, this is how you build treasure in heaven, not on the earth. Okay? So, you know, God wants rich people to give generously. And for rich people to get upset because they're going to be taxed more than the poor, they got it to give. How dare they get upset about that? And that's why many of you rich folks are going to have a problem with entering the kingdom of God. Because you're stingy. You're like the rich fool. That's described in Luke chapter 12. But anyway, um, matter of fact, let's read about this rich fool. Luke chapter 12 is one of my favorite scriptures. Luke 12, verse 13. A lot of rich fools in this country, unfortunately. Corey, I'm not calling you a fool. God is, you know, because there's quite a few of these rich people that have this character, character trait. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to them, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Luke 12, verse 13. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Or an arbitrator over you? Verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that's what people think when they trade and get involved in the Dow Jones Industrial, trading on Wall Street, they believe that their life consists in the abundance of their possessions. And God states it does not. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And today you can interpret that as money or savings, banks accounts. Okay. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Or today, I will get other accounts to store my money. Right? And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, 
drink, be merry. And today you can interpret that as well. I have many, like this one uh, on CNN, this one person, they had withdrawn, I think, $100, and they had, what, $9 million in their account, something like that. So that that's <laughs> that's a lot of money to be having in a bank account. But anyway, I'm just saying that so you can understand how to interpret this today in, in today's society. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Now, God calls anyone a fool that has all these riches and all they're doing is thinking about themselves. God calls you a fool, not me, okay? Uh, any 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 rich person, any person, period, you have lots of goods and you don't think one minute, one second about sharing that with someone else who's in need. He calls you a fool when you have that type of attitude. This night, your soul or life is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And how do you be rich toward God? By sharing your possessions, by distributing your possessions, you rich folks, with other people. That is the problem in this country. We have the most billionaires in this country. And all of them should get together and distribute their wealth to the poor. That's what they should be doing. But they don't. And that's why there's almost 50 million people right now who don't have enough to eat in this country, this rich country, which is the most uh, unequal country as far as finances in the world. You have a big distinction between the rich and the poor, unfortunately. Okay, so um, let's, uh, how much time? 48 minutes. Let me get to the Torah readings here. And then we're going to elaborate more on uh, this rich versus poor thing in the context of Balaam and and also um, some other things here. Um, so let's turn to numbers. And, you know, Balaam was a prophet, and God forced him to preach true prophecy, as we're going to see here. But Balaam is also a, a type of prophet that you don't want to be for those who, who claim they're a prophet, you know. Numbers chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, and the English Standard Version, or you can read along with whatever version you have. Numbers 22, verse 1, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan of Jericho, and Balak the son of Zipporah saw that all saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the, that's in the area around Jordan today, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will, will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, Zippor, I guess, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pedor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammon, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come up out of Egypt. They covered the face of the earth. And they are dwelling opposite me. Somewhat of a prophecy there. Verse 6. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, they parted with the fees for divination. Okay, here we go. Fees for divination. So they were paying Balaam, the prophet, money to predict the future for them 
Okay? That's what they were doing. So that's the fees for divination in their land. And you have people doing this today. You have false prophets charging fees for prophecy. You know. But anyway, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So he did exactly what God told him to do, or it appears. Anyway, verse 13. <laughs> so Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go, you know, okay, this time he did, right here, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and, and said, Balak refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these, and they came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse his people for me. So, of course, the devil through um, Balak is trying to influence Balaam to disobey God. In verse 18, but Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold or money, I could not go beyond the commandment of the Lord my God to do less and more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Now, here we go again with trying to follow exact orders from someone. All right, and Balaam did not, as you're going to see here. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, and this is if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So, <laughs> so he did not do what God told him to do. He said, only if the men call him. What did he do? Balaam just went and rose anyway. The men didn't call him. And of course, verse 22, but God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in a way as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So he beat the crap out of this donkey for no reason. Verse 20, 28, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Now, he didn't open the, his mind, the donkey's mind. He opened the mouth of the donkey. So he gave, I think in the King James Version, it says utterance. The donkey utterance, right? Okay. Okay, the ass. Okay, so I was checking to make sure. And uh, it's, uh, the donkey is called an ass in the uh, King James Version. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? So that's what the donkey, he gave the donkey the ability to speak what was on its mind. 
and what was on his mind, and I can understand. <laughs> says, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balan said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I will kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey? And which you have ridden all your life long to this day, is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. It's ridiculous to have an animal talk sense to you. Anyway, verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. Why is it perverse? Because he told him not to go, in verse 20, unless the men have come to call you. But he didn't want to listen to that. Okay? So that's why the Lord was pissed off at him. And he's pissed off at any of us when we commit sins. But, you know, right now, uh, because of the shed blood of Christ, he's not as angry. Well, I guess he is as angry. He's just now follow up on it like he did back in. then, here in Numbers chapter 22. But that doesn't mean that each and every one of us is not going to be judged for our wickedness. There's going to be a day of reckoning for each and every one of us if we don't repent. So anyway, Numbers chapter 22. Verse 33. The donkey saw me, and you know this is a significant scripture here in verse 32. He says, your way is perverse before me. Any of our ways are perverse. When we sin, it's perverse to God. No matter what it is, our ways are perverse before him. In other words, it's not right. Perverted. Verse 33 of Numbers 22. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. He would let the animal live. Because God doesn't like animal cruelty, folks. He doesn't like you beating the crap out of animals and not taking care of them. Because he says the righteous man takes care of his animals. And what did he t- command Adam to do? Okay? So it's our responsibility to take care of the creatures that we rule over. And God is going to be extremely upset of us if we just... Matter of fact, he's inspired, I know in the United States, and I think maybe worldwide, and I know in the other Israelite countries, they do have separate departments, police departments, that handle animal cruelty. On the Animal Channel, they have a program, I think, you know, just devoted to that people beating the crap out of their animals and not taking care of them and stuff, you know. God don't like that. That's a sin. That's a sin, folks. A sin punishable by death, obviously, according to this. Anyway, um, verse 34, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know, and he, he knew, he sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. Verse 35, and the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So he obeyed this time. It took all that <laughs> for him to, to obey. And that's the way it is with most of us folks, if we want to be honest. We've we, we got to see something. we got to, it's like Balaam, he had to see the Lord for him to, to take him seriously. And that's unfortunate because Christ stated in, in, in John, in the Gospels, uh, in the context of Doubting Thomas, he said, Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen me. See, God wants us to not have to be like Balaam, have to actually see him to obey. That's one of the basic doctrines of God, which Balaam obviously did not care about, nor did he have. 
trust in God or faith in God. And Christ stated, prophesied in the book of Luke, that when the Son of Man comes, shall he find trust or faith in the earth. It's going to be a big problem in these end times, folks. People not believing in God. People wanting to see God to believe him. When God states that it's possible to believe him and not see him. But anyway, um, I mean, the whole book of Esther is about that. Did they see God? No, but she had great faith, didn't she? Anyway, uh, Numbers chapter 22. So Balaam, I mean 35 rather, number tw- uh, Numbers 22 verse 35. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Verse 36, when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you, did, not, did I not send to, to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Verse 39. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Karat Hozov, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent to Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamath Baal, and from there he saw a fraction of the people. Numbers 23. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height. How much time do I have about here? 35 minutes, okay. 36 minutes. All right, and verse 3, And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to bear height. And God met Balaam, and Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up the discourse and said, from Aram Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone, and now counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like this. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? And this is a lesson for people who think they're prophets, that you better speak God's words or you're going to get cursed, as Balak did. Anyway, I mean, Balaam. Numbers 23, verse 13. And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then cursed him for me, cursed them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophon, to the top of Pesgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? And Balaam 
took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, their God, is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, What has God wrought? Behold, a people. As a lioness, it rises up as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. So he's stating that Israel will be powerful in these end times, and they are. The little nation of Israel, and so is the United States and Britain, and Canada, and the countries in Northwestern Europe, and Australia, and New Zealand, and South Africa. They're all rich, wealthy countries, and powerful countries. Verse 25, And Balak said to Balaam, Israel, the little nation of Israel, gets a lot of their wealth and support from the United States, by the way. Verse 25, And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam. I mean, this, this is another example of how the devil just continues, continues to try to get you to do what God does not want you to do. You know, but anyway. Verse 28, So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooked the desert. And Balak said to Balak, Build for me. Here are seven altars, and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam said, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Uh, Numbers chapter 24. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, so the Spirit of God came upon Balaam, and he took up the discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments over Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. That's referring to the little nation of Israel, and also the rest of the tribes as well. Verse 10, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold money, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad 
of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I, will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days or in the future, also the 21st century. Verse 15. And he took up the discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eyes open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Let's, let's say that again because that's significant. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. So he knew the knowledge of the Most High. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, which is the year of Jordan today. And you know that in the 20th century, Israel did conquer Jordan. You know that. So this is a prophecy of what happened then, and this is another prophecy of what will happen in the future. And break down all the sons of sheep. Edom shall be dis- dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. Edom, of course, can refer to, uh, many Jews interpret this correctly, Edom can refer to the rest of the Gentile nations of the world and also can refer to the area of Turkey as well in the Middle East. Seir also, his enemies shall be dis- dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Verse 20, then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among nations, but his end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned, and Ashur takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But the ships that shall come from Kittah and shall afflict Ashur and Eber, he too shall come to utter destruction. So Eber uh, can refer also to uh, the, the tribes of today. Uh, Israel, Eber, because when you look in the... Uh, uh, let me see what this says here. Well, that's not the Philistines. But anyway, the um, Ashur and Eber, and particularly Eber, uh, is referring to uh, the, the tribes of Israel, and he, and he too shall come to utter destruction. So in verse 25, then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. And Ashur, if you look at Ashur, Ashur is a part of that area in the Middle East, Iberia um, in particular, and, and, and uh, they will also suffer that whole area of suffering today. And so Eber is suffering as well. And ships from Kittim, that, that many experts and, and Jews believe that that's talking about Roman ships coming, okay? Uh, European ships today. All right, so Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. When Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the, angle, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So Israel, as they have a tendency to do, did not obey, did not obey 
And here we go again. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And you're going to find out how they yoked themselves here in a minute. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of the meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Okay, and I want to put a little disclaimer here for you to understand here. This is, God allowed this to occur because his, his presence was there. And his law was enforced as far as eliminating people who would marry someone from outside the religion of Israel. But, you know, God doesn't command us to do that today. He commands us to obey the governments of today. Uh, that commandment is found in Romans chapter 13 and, and in other places uh, in the Bible where God commands us to uh, adhere to the governments of this world. And in particular in the United States, uh, we don't go out and kill somebody <laughs> that's because they did something wrong unless uh, it's self-defense okay uh we can't go and do what this this individual did today or else we get ourselves in trouble and god commands us to obey the law of the land in romans chapter 13 and he set those laws up and uh, when he comes back these laws that we're reading about would be uh reinstituted again as far as capital punishment the way he does it okay so that's the situation with uh, Balaam, and I wanted to find a scripture that shows you what happened to Balaam here. Um, let me see. Type it in here and find it. Because Balaam was, ended up being a wicked prophet, unfortunately for him. Yeah, in Numbers uh, 31, verse 8, Yeah, and they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them were slain, Evi and Rechem and Zer and Har and Rebbe, five kings of Midian. Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So they slew him with the sword, and let's find out why here. And Numbers 31, verse 16. Behold, these calls the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter pure, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So Balaam, unfortunately, did not end up being a true prophet of God, and he had an opportunity, obviously. And he ended up being evil, and he worked with uh, Balak here, and he played a significant role in deceiving the people. So that's unfortunate for Balaam, but that's, that's what happened. Let's turn to the prophet section of the Torah readings for, for this week, or the uh, biblical readings of Micah, chapter 5. Micah, chapter 5, starting in verse 6.
and they shall shepherd the land of Israel. And they shall shepherd the land of Isaria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at his entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Isarian when he comes into our land and threads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst. Let's look at the context of this here. In Micah 5, verse 1, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid up against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel in the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, the who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth in me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. This is talking about the Messiah, Jesus. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is, who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, and in, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their place when the Isarian comes to our land and treads in our places. Then he, the Messiah, will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Isaiah, the land of the Middle East there, with the sword in the land of Nimrod at his entrance, and he shall deliver us from the Isaiah when he comes into our land and threads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers in the grass, which delay not for a man. nor wait for the children of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many people, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a lion, young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes down, treads down, and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off your sources from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Azrael images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and in wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. So this is a prophecy of the future. In Micah 6, verse 1, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, O mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Verse 3, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, which were the leaders of Israel at that time. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. What shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? In other words, will he be pleased with your giving? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of the soul? Verse 8, remember this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he requires, along with, of course, giving. He wants us to have that, that attitude. Okay, so Luke, how much time I have left here? Let's go over again what rich people, I wanted to cover in these last 18 minutes, how rich people 
should behave, how how they should distribute their goods. Let's look at listen what Christ said uh, in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, I think it's Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And this is a good example for you rich folks. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Okay. So let's look at this prophetically here. <clears throat> Who are the chief tax collectors in this country? The IRS, right? And and they're rich, aren't they? Okay. Anyway, he was seeking to he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he was a little guy. He was a little squirt. Okay. Verse four. So he ran out ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree. He must have been really short. To see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods or his possessions I give to the poor. Boy, if you told any... Republican that they that Jesus requires for them to give half their possessions, they'll go crazy, wouldn't they? Like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't do that. Oh, you know. But this is what you know, God wouldn't record this in the Bible unless this is what uh he, he would like rich people to do. Give fifty percent of what they own to the poor. Okay? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods or money, whatever, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything or stolen, he restores it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. So he linked his attitude that Zacchaeus had to salvation. What's salvation? First Corinthians chapter 15 explains you the whole plan of God, basically, in one chapter. Uh, that's salvation. The opportunity to live forever, to have immortality and to, to be and look like God himself. That's salvation. It says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And most rich people, according to Matthew chapter 19, are lost. Because he says, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, and he compared it, to a camel trying to go into the eye of a needle. That's serious, folks. That's serious for rich people. Because most rich people, their God is their money. Second Peter chapter 2. Getting back to the Balaam and so forth. And this is in the context of false prophets. Second Peter chapter 2, and that's what Balaam ended up being, not because of his prophecies being false, but because of his attitude. You can be false or perverse, not acting right. And in Balaam's case, he didn't act right. His character was wrong, so he ended up being a false. You can't be a, a prophet even speaking the, the true words of God, and your character doesn't reflect that you are a follower of God. You can't do that. You can't be a fornicator and didn't preach God's words and say it's true, and then, you know, God doesn't look at you as being a, 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 a true prophet. A true prophet speaks God's words, 
and obeys God's words. Okay. Second Peter chapter two verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, as Balaam did, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so people, whether you're you're prophets or ministers or whatever, if you you start preaching and and you are aware of it, if you start preaching false doctrine, you're going to destroy yourself. Two, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of, of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. This is what ministers do today. They 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 say all kinds of ridiculous things to get you to give them money. And they, and, they, and they preach with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4. So he compares this to the following here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept into the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, uh, does it say a preacher of righteousness there? In the King James? Yeah, okay, that's what a herald means, a preacher. A herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example. This is an example, all these, including Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was Sodom and Gomorrah? I want you to focus on this. It's important. Sodom and Gomorrah, you need to think of being lazy, uh, being fat, having too much, not caring for the poor, and sexual perversion, which homosexuality is one of them, along with doing all other kind of sexual abomination. That is Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and God, when he thinks of those things, he thinks of ashes. Okay? So, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's many cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in this world, to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So this is an example of the future. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. So Lot was very distressed by what was going on. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul or life over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I, I can understand. I feel the same way Lot does. You know, I, I'm, I'm tormented every single day when I see all this wickedness that's going on. They're going to have Playboy, uh, a series uh, talking about the origin of Playboy this fall. Okay, and they're going to put it in a fictional context, but still, the whole series is about how Playboy got started and all that. I'm sure that God is not even interested in that one iota, okay? And neither should a, a true believer, but that's the kind of junk, among the many types of junk, that's going to be on television this fall. So anyway... That kind of stuff torments my righteous soul. Uh, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the, the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So he keeps the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So listen to this in verse 10, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Here we go again with authority. God wants us to obey authority. Only when the authority 
does not want us to obey God, we are commanded not to obey authority. If we have this problem, as I try to explain to my family and other people, if you have an issue with authority, you're going to have an issue with God. And he hates that. He hates that attitude of not wanting to obey authority. Uh, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They don't tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So angels, they got a better attitude than most human beings. Verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, in other words, they don't know about, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel, uh, revel in the daytime. In other words, be rebellious. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Now he talks about this in the context of Balaam. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So God calls you mad when you do stuff like that. When you preaching for profit and when you encourage the people to do abominations as they did. Sexual abominations. Verse 17. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For they, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. And this freedom is linked with pleasure of the flesh. What are the three things, God, that, that, is, uh, that is of the world and not of God, based on First John chapter 2, verses uh, 15 to 17? The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. This is what this is talking about. we got to weed that out of our character. It says, they entice by sensual passions to flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So if you have any kind of addiction, you are enslaved to that. Verse 24, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the soul, after washing himself, herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You don't want to get into that situation, folks. And uh, Revelation 2, verse 14 and 15. I don't have too much time here, so I'm going to quote this. Revelation 2, verse 14. About Balaam here. And this is a message to the churches uh, in all ages, including this age, the 21st century, which really the book of Revelation is all about. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have 
some here who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have hold, some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, um, that are is a group of people back then and today that have this government hierarchy in religion that they set themselves up of all-knowing people that you can't question their authority, you can't question anything they teach that they whatever they say is true all the time and there's no mistakes and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, me and my wife have been guilty of being a part of organizations like that where uh they're not willing to accept any teaching that they haven't taught, you know, even though it's true. That that's that's Nicolaitan type of uh, attitude where you have this harsh rulership of you know, I'm I'm better than you. I'm a Torah teacher and there's nothing you can say or do that I don't already know about. I mean, that that's that's ridiculous. Only Yeshua can have that type of attitude, okay, because he's the word of God, and because he's the word of God, he is God, okay. So that that is the case, only with Yeshua and no one else. Okay, and then Jude, this is the last scripture here. I have time for this. I didn't think I would get through, but uh, I am getting through here. Jude who's the half-brother of Jesus, Jude 10. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Danger to them, or woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Here we go again, trying to get something. To Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. We've talked about that um, Last week, these are, or a couple of weeks ago, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding in themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In other words, these people will get the second death, twice dead. That's what that means. I know other people have misinterpreted that, but to be twice dead, you, you die once, right, normally, right? And then you die again, and if you die again, that's the second death, which has no power. Verse 14, it was also, it was also about these that Enoch, who was a prophet, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, so he prophesied about people like this, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, on these people, <laughs> on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an, an ungodly way, that have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And that really describes our politicians. Oh, their social interests and so forth. Verse 17, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. What is the love of God? Keeping the commandments waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt, 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. Fear. What is fear? What's the fear of God? Proverbs 8, verse 13 is to hate evil. Hating even the garment stained by their flesh. Okay? So that's very important to have that type of attitude, to want to save people and, and to have mercy on those who doubt and, and, and to show mercy. You know, even you, know, you may know more than some other believer. Don't be so arrogant about it. Help them. All right, so that's it for today. Uh, wait, actually, I got one minute and thirty-two seconds. I wanted to turn to another scripture. First John, chapter three. I think. Let's see. First John chapter. Oh, let me find it here real quick. Uh, here we go. First John five verse three. Yeah, memorize this, so I won't have this problem anymore. First John five verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith or our trust. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so the, uh, one scripture to memorize, 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we commit, commit uh, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome as... Some people have preached. So anyway, may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available for you next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs>